Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. Today I got Mr. Danny Ferris on from Ultimate Predator Decoy, as well as Hoyt hunting podcast and a and a couple other little things so or not so little but uh appreciate your time your time and coming on and i've got uh i've got some questions on on how to use the products so if you wouldn't mind real quick introduce yourself who you are and and uh kind of your what you got going with it with uh ultimate predator decoy hey guys um thanks for having me clint uh yeah i'm danny ferris and um I have my hands in all kinds of stuff. I host Hoyt's bow hunting podcast and I'm a team member over at uh, bow hunter TV. It's on the sportsman channel and outdoor channel. Um, And uh, a columnist for bow hunter magazine. And uh, yeah, I own ultimate predator. Um, We sell uh, it's a decoy company and we have a couple different lines of decoys our wind drifter decoys and stalker decoys and i think you're wanting to talk about stalker decoys today bow mounted stalker decoys yeah uh first how was your fall oh it's good um <laughs> 2021 covid year was was pretty good for me man um usually it seems like every year there's there's one tag you know and i've usually got a a, a pretty good laundry list of tags every year but there's always one tag that you don't end up filling for some reason. Yep. And, you know, whether it's you didn't get your antelope tag filled or you didn't get your elk tag filled or, you know, uh, you didn't end up scoring in Kansas, you know, on, on your on your whitetail tag or something. I'm proud to say that in 2021, every single tag that I had, uh, something died. Nice. <laughs> Nice yeah, story. it was great. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I was I was on that streak, and the only right reason why it didn't happen is because maybe the arrow didn't hit the animal for some reason. I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's happened to me lots. Yeah, I don't know what just didn't go where it's supposed to go. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but the uh, so I'm on my second year of using the Ultimate Predator Stalker decoys. Um, yeah, picked up the this is my first year using the elk i got a cow elk decoy and then just the the face head-on one and then i've got a white tail uh decoy that i that i don't use the antlers on um but i i mean there's a whole nother conversation i'm sure there but it just got the white tail doe and i'm here in western south dakota we've got a mix of white tails and muleys in the black hills here we've got a lot of white tails, a lot of white tail hunting out in the prairie. Sure. We've got mule deer, but prairie is what, well, or a white tail as well, obviously. So, um, let's start with, um, 
I guess describe the product. That's that's a, probably the best thing. Just I don't want to talk about something nobody knows what what we're uh, just to explain the difference between this decoy and maybe another company's or like what 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 is unique about this product? And we're obviously talking bow bow mounted decoys. Sure, these are these are decoys that you mount on the front of the bow, and you know. I don't want to take too much time doing this. You, you can you can go to our website, um, ultimatepredatorgear.com, and and easily see them and see what we're talking about. But um, you know, I've been a decoy geek for a very very long time, and I, I've been using three dimensional and two dimensional decoys both for twenty five years probably, um, and. <laughs> You always had, you know, especially with two-dimensional decoys, you always had the same problem, you know, and this is going way back to like a Mel Dutton decoy using those for antelope. Um, when it, you'd be sneaking behind the decoy on a stock or something like that, and when it came down to the wire and, you know, the moment of truth, you had to draw your bow and shoot, and you couldn't always – push that decoy into the ground and stand it up. Most times it had to just fall over and you had to draw and shoot. And a lot of times that animal was gone because you had to reveal yourself. Hmm. Um, bow mounted decoys. You know, I started, I actually started taking Montana decoys. Oh, probably 10, at least 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. And I had started cutting those things up and trying to mount them on a bow sometimes for, for that specific reason. And I actually, uh, I killed a big blacktail buck up on Kodiak Island one year doing that. And I was just blown away, uh, by how well it worked. If you could keep that thing up while you drew the bow. Well, a couple of years later, all of a sudden this decoy pops up on the market called the stalker decoy. And it is a two dimensional, uh, decoy that can be folded up and put into your pack. But when you unfold it and 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 put it on your bow, it, it connects right there on the face of your bow and your arrow shoots right through the decoy. I saw that thing and I was like, holy crap, that is exactly what I've been doing with all these other decoys, except, you know, getting out the sewing kit and and cutting them up myself. So um, originally the reason that I started using it primarily was because I was hunting whitetails in Eastern Colorado and Western Kansas, and it was wide open country. And I needed, I lost the biggest buck of my life in 2015 in Kansas. And he, I was spotting stalking him. And what had happened was right at the last second, he saw me. And when I shot, he jumped the string and I wounded him and lost him. And I was absolutely devastated. And for the next year, I, I started thinking about, man, how, how can I hunt these open country whitetails and get the attention off of me or keep the deer more relaxed? Because even though I've had some really spectacular successes spotting and stalking whitetails, um, they're just so darn twitchy that I, I, I just hated the idea of straight up spotting, continuing to straight up spot and stock them. Cause I'd had a couple of nightmares happen as well. Mm -hmm. So that first year that I tried it, um, I used it in conjunction with a 3d buck decoy. So I put a 3d buck decoy out in front of me in a really visible position. And I just sat down about 20 yards, 15, 20 yards from, the 3d buck decoy against some cedars and i put a stalker decoy doe on my bow so to a buck that was coming by it, when he saw that he saw a buck that he thought had a doe pinned down in the grass so I, my whole plan was for them to mistake me for a doe in the grass and the first time i tried it i killed a 160 inch whitetail buck on public land and he came stomping in on my 3D buck decoy and completely ignored me, hmm. completely ignored me over in the grass. And I drew my I, I drew my bow right in his face um, and I shot him at 12 yards 
with absolutely no cover between me and him other than that doe decoy. And I was, I was flabbergasted. I just couldn't believe what I'd done. So, uh, the next couple of years I started playing with the, you know, the turkey decoy and the elk decoy and, and more whitetails and had some incredible success. And, uh, I actually started using them on bow hunter TV and, um, after I'd used them for a year or two, uh, the, the original owners of the company came to me and it was a partnership that was breaking down and said that they were thinking about selling the company. And I was so impressed with it. I was like, man, I want to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I bought the company from them. Awesome. So that's, that's kind of how it went down and, and how I got into using the decoys. And, and now, you know, I've been using them for quite some time and they're, they're just an incredible tool that, I, I feel like everybody would benefit from having in their pack. No kidding. So let me set the stage with an example and let's see if we can't, we don't have time to, to go through elk and deer and all the scenarios. It's just not a possibility, but yeah. for let's go with uh, my elk this year. So I got that decoy cause I knew solo hunting. I had so many, I hunt Western Colorado, uh, that high desert It's pretty open country mm-hmm. little pockets of aspen and so many times i'm out there by myself and i get busted or, or you get them yeah. stuck in the hunk in the hang-up zone there and they just yeah it just can't come in uh i can't get a shot i mean it's i got a sweet little honey hole that i can call bull after bull in within you know three days it's it's eight ten different bulls that i can play with and and uh, where, where where is this spot oh it, it's just it's just down the road from you just down the road but all right all right <laughs> but i do need man i need uh i need someone i can trust to go in there with me um I, <laughs> I i've taken one other buddy that uh um yeah and and we had a great time absolute great time yeah uh, but then that cool. was that was the year of the 14 inches of snow in september and oh yeah oh the elk shut down so yep. <laughs> that one didn't work well. I've only killed one bull in there, and that was this year. Uh, no, my dad killed a bull in there um, two years ago. And so I got this. I wake up in my camp, and I just stand up, and then I look, and I hear, listen. And it's always, uh, do I want to chase that bull or that bull? And sure. so step out of camp, and I see a couple of bulls. It's early September yet. They're hanging out together, uh, a little 5.4 point little guys uh but one i'm glad to take so i see these two little bulls just making their way along the open open side of the hill and they're going to work their way up probably into the aspen pocket so i Mm -hmm. i jump down to the aspen pocket my wind is good not great um and thinking where they'd be coming from would be a crosswind they uh Drop down, of course, further to my left, and my scent was going right to the bottom of that draw, and I was not far from it. So I, right. I had the decoy on and snuck down as close as I could, and I sat there and I called for a little while, and, and I knew they were kind of coming, and they showed up. So the little one was first. He dipped down, and he smelled me um, and kind of backed off, and, and I got him to just chill out for a second and not go anywhere. Uh, and then that's as they both kind of just took off for a quick second, that's when I dropped down even further. So shooting across where my scent was going would be 50 yards or so. Yeah. Um, so I knew that even if that other bull came down, he didn't need to go down into where my scent cone was going, uh, cause that's going down the, down the hill. So that decoy was up and I was able to, I think they had kind of seen something, seen something was there. And, mm-hmm. and, and known that, okay, that's where it's at. And the other bull hadn't smelt me. The little bull actually ended up taking off after a while. Just, they kept going back and forth. Like there's something there. Right. There's something there. I right. don't know what that is. Uh, there's a cow there, something. And they kept going. But he back. got, a, he also got a whiff of something he didn't like. Right. Right. The little yeah. one. And then yeah. the, the little nicer five point, he ended up going back and forth and finally just made uh, the mistake he, he got behind some stuff and I closed that down to 40. Uh, and he made his way to an opening broadside shot and I stuck him. Um, yeah, that decoy kept him there. I know that decoy kept him there. It kept his interest, but that whole time as I'm doing this, 
And the, from the beginning to the end, I was thinking, should I have my decoy on? Should I leave it off? Should I give away my location? Should I have them know where I'm at? Or should I be right. making some calls and moving up, having a little call session and moving up and, and let them go search me out? So right. what's, what's your what's your process for deciding, do I want them to know where I'm at or um, which, which they can pinpoint you sound-wise anyway, but do I want right. them to be able to know where I'm at visually? And Right. Well, th- this is – you're talking about a big dilemma right there. Um, and just for those that might be beginning elk hunters, just so that you understand what that big dilemma is, when you're calling by yourself, there's there's – these elk are very good at pinpointing exactly where that call is coming from. I don't care how thick the cover is when you're calling from that position and you've got a bull that's coming in, there's always this big question of how soon should I stop? Because I don't want him to pinpoint exactly where I am and be looking right at me when he's coming in. And now I can't draw because the the elk are extreme. If you're not moving, if you're standing still, an elk will walk right up to you. And I don't care if you're wearing blue jeans and a, and a red flannel. If you're completely still, a lot of times elk will walk right up to you um, as long as they can't smell you. But if you so much as twitch, turn your head, you know, start to draw your bow back, they'll explode out of there. They're, they're masters at picking up movement. So usually if you have a collar with you, you drop the collar back a hundred yards. Now the elk is going toward where that collar is. And he's, he, he's, he's not, he, he has, your position hasn't been given away. And the caller's job is to pull that elk past you so that you can get a shot. Well, you can't do that when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, your big question is, okay, so, so I'm calling by myself. And they're going to know approximately where I am because of the sound. And at what point should I show them that decoy and say, here's the cow you're looking for? Well, my answer to that is don't do it unless you have to. In the situation that you were in yesterday, um, or I mean last year, uh, that you just described, that one, the small bull, they were about to walk into your wind. Mm-hmm. And if they walk into your wind, you know, it's over. And uh, in all likelihood, if that smaller bull got a width of you and still stuck around, it's just because he was young and dumb. Yeah. Because an older bull, as soon as he gets that width, is gone. So you were put, you, your hand was forced. Okay. But let's say that you're in a perfect position where the wind is coming right at you, it's not an issue. And that bull is a hundred yards out and he's coming. As long as he's coming, don't do anything. Treat it exactly the same as if you didn't have the decoy on. Okay. If that bull walks right up to 20, you know, 20 yards from you and turns broadside and you're able to draw back and shoot him without the bull ever knowing that you were there and never seeing the decoy, fine. Kill him exactly like you would if you didn't have the decoy on the bow. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What the decoy is for is that just in case scenario. So now let's say that bull gets to 75 yards. He knows approximately where that call was coming from. And all of a sudden he's hitting that, okay, that, that barrier at 175 to 150 yards where he's like, I should be seeing an elk there. And it's a smart enough, mature enough bull to know I shouldn't just go storming in there. I need to see something at this point and they hang up. Okay. So if that bull hangs up and you can tell that he's getting to the point where I either want to see something or I'm leaving, then go ahead and show him. And as long as you've got, you know, I don't usually hide behind things at all ever. Mm -hmm. I usually just try to get a backdrop. Now, if I'm standing there perfectly still with that decoy on my bow and I have a backdrop, a good tree or some brush or something like that, most of the time that elk will not see me, okay, because I'm not moving. It's the same problem that I used to have prior to having a bow-mounted decoy. I would take a, 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 a somebody else's 2D decoy and 
I would put it in a tree 15 yards off to my right and hang it up right there. Well, over and over again, I had these situations where the a bull would come in and they wouldn't see the decoy. Well, it's because the decoy was completely still. And, and elk don't, they're not good at picking things out if it's not moving. So with it on the bow, I can reach up and it doesn't take much movement. You gotta, you don't have to take a, you know, a couple of big steps for that bull to see you. I'll just reach up and take the, the ear on that decoy and I'll flick the ear on that decoy at that elk. And, and they will nine times out of 10, as long as there, there's nothing obstructing that bull's view of you, he's going to catch it. If he doesn't see it for some reason, then try taking a, you know, a small step to the side, just something. So the, um, the ear flick is what I missed like that. If I would have added that into that scenario, uh, sure. I think that would have taken that a, from a 10 minute st- stare down, um, maybe down less because now that makes a lot of sense. Not having that movement. The only movement in that decoy was my heart rate and shaking, uh, so adding just that little flick, I never would have guessed that. That I think that's a that's a that's a good tip. Yeah, and it, I mean the advantage of having the thing on your bow right there is that you can give the decoy movement when you need to give it movement. But you know, I always tell people this. They ask me, well, you know, how what kind of movement should I give? That ear flick is cool because it's a very natural looking small movement that mm-hmm. can get their attention and sell them on the fact that, oh, there's a cow right there and she's flicking her ear. She's, you know, I see her. Um, If you took a buddy and you put him out there 50 yards away behind a bush and you just all of a sudden had him start walking back and forth behind that bush and all you can see is the top half of the decoy. Well, if he's moving around a lot, it's not going to take you very long to figure out that that's not right. That doesn't look like a deer, Mm -hmm. you know, but if, or, or an elk, if if you put the same buddy back there behind that bush and all he does is flick the ear or maybe take one step to the side or maybe you know how sometimes deer when they see, when they see you they'll uh, they'll do the head bob kind of yep just lower the decoy a little bit real quick and then raise it back up and hold still you use as little movement as you have to to sell it huh. you understand yep because if you try to move too much you might make a movement that doesn't look natural, and now the animal is going to know that you know they're going to know something's wrong. Something doesn't look right. So many of the elk that I end up hunting, and it's just my style, I guess. I don't know. Um, is the I don't know if they're coming or not until they're semi close to bow range. It's open country, yeah. but I'm always in the thick stuff with them. Right. So it's yeah. it's tough to decide of are they if I knew they were coming at a hundred yards, that's one thing. Like you were saying, that's right. that good example there. But if I'm just doing, I, th- I know there's elk in this pocket here somewhere and I'm making my game plan. I'm, I'm calling, I'm doing, I got the wind, right? What about then when we're not sure if they're coming or we're not sure what they're, what they're doing, what's your kind of go-to for well, that's, putting it on? That's a dilemma. That's a dilemma for everybody. Um, you know, a lot of times just depend upon whether that bull has cows or not. Um, you know, sure. it, it, it's hard to figure out whether he's actually closing the distance or not. Um, it, and yeah, it, it I know depends there's, upon the terrain. Yeah. And there's, there's no, there's no playbook for elk that's going to work a hundred percent of the time, but, but no. just so use an example I, of, of one of your hunts where, uh, you, it was successful when you had that, you didn't know exactly if they were a hundred yards up the hill, down the hill, kind of right on the same level. You knew they were there. They're not that vocal. Um, and you were, you were working a bull. Um, think of an example there that, that, that decoy really came in handy. Boat trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. 
a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Um, so I was just curious of an example of a time that, that something did work out to have that decoy when you weren't sure if the animal even wanted to play if the elk wanted to play you had no idea um you just knew there was elk in the area and it and it worked out okay um well let me back up just a just a little bit you were asking uh when you're you know when you're when you've got a bull calling out in front of you and you're not sure whether he's coming or not you know first of all as long as he's talking I want to give him every opportunity to come on and come in. And the, the number one most useful thing that are uh, number one thing, this decoy is most useful for when elk hunting is to allow you to draw when that bull's coming. So if it sounds like you're, you're hunting probably in cedars when, uh, when you're at, you know, in that thicker stuff on those desert type bulls, Um, so, you know, I, usually when I've set up, I've got a backdrop bulls bugling out in front of me. Uh, I, I try to keep him talking and I give him ample opportunity to come. Well, if he does come now, depending upon how thick the cover is that I'm in, I I might get my first view of him anywhere from 10 yards out to, you know, 50 yards or something like that. Well, when that bull comes through there and he's coming to the call, he's going to be on red alert. He is looking for either another, he's looking for other elk and potentially he depend upon whether you bugled at him or not. He's looking for another bull that might jump out and, and come at him, you know? Mm -hmm. So the, the hardest thing about bow hunting elk, calling them in and shooting them is getting your bow drawn. And you, t- typically, if you're not using a decoy like this, you've got to wait for that bull's head to be behind something or for his focus to be someplace else. And figuring out, you know, at, as somebody that's guided people, I don't know how many times I've had my hunter out in front of me and he just chose the wrong time to draw. Mm. And all of a sudden, bam, that, that bull catches that little bit of movement out of the corner of his eye. And he swaps in and he's the ends and he's gone. It's happened to me a ton too. Um, the beautiful thing about having this decoy on is that if that bull catches the motion of your draw, um, a lot of times th- they might jump, they might flinch, but they look over and they see a cow. And what are they expecting to see when they come in there? They're expecting to see an elk. So when they catch that movement, they're not expecting and they look over and bam, it's a cow looking at them. They freeze. (laughs) They, you know, um, a lot of times they'll look at you and depending upon how far they are, they might be too far for a, for a frontal shot. You might have to wait for that bull to give you the broadside, but they almost never turn around and bolt. Almost always they'll, they'll freeze. They'll look at you. For, for a second, look at you for a minute or a minute or so, and then start turning in circles, looking at you, or they come right to you. But the only thing that you've got to do is you got to be patient and wait for the shot. But the point is you, you don't have to fire as fast as you can because it, even when they don't buy it, they're there for 30 seconds trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And when they buy it, man, it's over. They're in Mm -hmm. big trouble. Um, so an example of that was the first bull I ever killed with it. Um, I was solo hunting, uh, going into a small piece of BLM, uh, that was surrounded by a bunch of, uh, of private land. And I knew that there was a steep, um, slope in there that the, that elk liked to bet on. And I went sneaking in there with that decoy and I was calling for myself and on that one, it was early season. He never answered me. I, I just got down there and got to a spot where I had some decent openings in front of me. And, um, 
and you know down below me it was real thick and steep and i i i think what i did was i gave one little weak squeal and then a series of you know half a dozen uh cow calls mm -hmm. and then i just stood there i just stood completely still and and waited and and usually when i'm doing that and i think that there's a good chance it's earlier season and the bulls aren't necessarily going to talk any bull down there heard that squeal heard the cow calls and if if he's there if he was intrigued he might come slipping up through there quietly so i'll sit there and wait for five to ten minutes and give them time to come sneaking up through there well I'd stood there for maybe two minutes after doing that call and I heard popping down below me and I looked down kind of my, to my left and here comes this bull coming straight up the spine of the ridge, right to me. Um, I had a crosswind right then. So it, it, it wasn't perfect, but it was a crosswind and I thought I was going to be okay. Well, when he got probably 35, 40 yards from me on the spine, he, he started to cross over the spine and come to my right, which was directly toward where the wind was blowing. And he started to come around to the right a little bit more. And by the time he got up real close to me and was about to walk in and into an opening, I knew that if he got too far into that opening, he was going to get my wind and it would be over. So he's only, I don't know, 15 yards in front of me. And he's, he is about to walk in the wind and I have no choice, but to draw right now because he's about to walk into my wind. He hasn't seen me yet, but as soon as I start to draw, he's, he sees that movement immediately. Even though I tried to do it slowly, he saw the movement immediately and he froze up right there, looked right at me saw that it was a cow, his body language relaxed, and he actually took like a, a half a step backward to try and peek around this little sapling at me a little better, which just basically opened his entire shoulder to me, and he, he stood there and ate my arrow. Huh. Wow. So um, now your, your initial question about deciding when to go at them, every situation is – is different. If you have been sitting there talking to that elk for a long time and you can tell that the position of his bugle has not moved, um, then yeah, it's time to try and close the gap. And that's regardless of whether you have a decoy on your bow or not. Right. You can't just stand there and let him bugle at you, you know, um, uh, you know, from however far away and never come your way. Um, a lot of it will depend upon whether you're using bull calls on him or cow calls on him. But regardless, in that situation, the only chance that you've got is to close the gap a little bit. Hmm. And, you know, sometimes just by moving another 50 yards closer to him or right up on the edge of his herd, you get within his comfort zone. And now all of a sudden, if you're if you're bull calling at him, he thinks the bull is actually right there on the edge of his cows. He's going to do one of two things. He's either going to round his cows up and take off, or he's going to come over and try and face you. One of the two. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it can bite you. You can go around the corner. And if you use that call, if you throw a bull call at him, he might round them all up and take off. Um, but as far as showing him the decoy, just right back to the, to the same thing that I said before you show him the decoy when you're out of options. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you can, if you can continue to move at him without showing him the decoy, without giving yourself away, then do it. But if all of a sudden you see a bull that is, you know, you've moved in on this bull and you see, you see his butt moving through the trees, the other direction, and you know he's about to leave, then give him a cow call. And when he looks, give him an ear flick and see if you can stop him, see if you can turn him around to come uh, to come your way. It won't work every single time, but it's a whole lot better chance than if you hadn't done it.
Well, shoot. September is a long ways away to figure this, to mess around with this again. <laughs> so, um, that's a bummer. <laughs> What's uh, that? Th- well, that's uh, many months away to play around with this again. Um, yeah. So, because I now I moved from from Colorado back home to South Dakota recently, and and uh, it takes seventeen years to draw a tag here. But our bulls are big. Yeah. They, big oh, yeah. in these in these hills and it doesn't take much for age to get them huge out in the prairie oh my gosh those bulls are huge um <laughs> but the uh and non-residents you can't get one so sorry <laughs> but i know uh, i know but the uh um yeah so i don't get to elk hunt near as much as i ha- have in the past but at least i can still go play with them and, and learn and and uh th- that's a big thing i i tell a lot of south dakota hunters is that you're not going to be a good elk hunter if you go hunting every 17 years. Right. <laughs> you got right. to go to other states and play around and learn it. And there's there's such a learning curve to it. But I really like probably what you've just said is really kind of changed my mindset around the decoy so much because I I would really just throw it on my bow and walk around. I I wouldn't I, I didn't couldn't figure that out really on on where I, sh- I should have that on and and i do like that idea i'll just have it by my side and it's not visible when it needs to be visible slip over the bow and twist down the, the little tie downs and it's there so i well and i'll i'll tell you right now i recommend that you unless the wind is blowing really hard and turning your bow into a kite you, you can't have that happen you know what i mean right um, as long as I'm not facing that situation, I want that thing on my boat. Okay. Okay. And a lot of times, you know, when you put the thing on the front of the bow and now you've got this big perpendicular thing on the front of your bow, it's hard to carry the thing around through the brush that way. So what I will do is when I'm actually moving from, you know, like, let's say that I stopped, I did a calling sequence nothing happened. Now I'm going to move several hundred yards and try and do another calling sequence. All I do is I'll pivot that thing onto the side of my bow, onto the quiver side. And, you know, I usually do it with our strap attachment system. Um, if you set that up correctly, you can kind of pull the decoy out and around your, your site and your uh, stabilizer and just pivot it over near the quiver oh. uh with the spider wrap system you loosen it up just a little bit pivot it around over there onto the quiver side of the bow and make sure that you play with your particular setup to where when you have it on the side of the bow you can still fire an arrow yeah. okay now that thing lays flat up against the bow i can carry the bow flat next to my leg i can carry it by the string i can carry it by the riser i can lay it flat on the ground it's way easier to get through the trees with. But the most important thing is if you walk over a hill all of a sudden, how many times has this happened? You walk over a hill and here all of a sudden here's a bull or a bull that hung up and you didn't even know he was there. Yeah. And you start moving to the next set and bam, he's, he's in your face right here. Well, or you walk over the hill and I've had this happen where three of us walked over a hill and 40 yards in front of us is a dozen cows. And if you don't have that decoy on your bow, if that decoy is in your pack or something like that, they see your human form and they're gone. If you have the thing on your bow, you can real quick raise it up and put the decoy between you and the, and the elk that's right there. And literally sometimes they might've seen your human form, but now all of a sudden they see an elk head. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now that elk is twitching its ear at you or whatever we had when, when the three of us walked over, it was me, Kurt Wells and a cameraman walked over the hill on, on that dozen cows at 40 yards. They all went back to feeding me and Kurt had the, had the decoys on our bow and the cameraman had one on his camera rig. All of us raised them up in front of us. And I started flicking the ear at those cows and they went back to feeding right there in front of us. Hmm. And we stood there for 30 minutes waiting to see if a bull would walk in there, you know, if there was a bull in the group and there didn't end up being one. Um, but he'd have been in big trouble if he was there. So not having that thing on your bow or, 
um, uh, you know, and if, when I have it on the side of the bow like that, when I get up to the next spot where I want to call, I just real quickly put it back on the front of the bow and do my calling sequence and have an arrow knocked and, you know, use the decoy just like that. Um, there's a lot of people who are like, well, I'm just going to take the decoy and I'm going to put it beside me, you know, on a tree or something like that. And back to what I said earlier, that to me, you've completely eliminated the advantage of having a bow mounted decoy. Mm -hmm. The advantage of having that bow mounted decoy is that you can move the decoy if you need to, you can, and, and it, you hide behind it. Yeah. It's plain and simple. Um, and you know, if a bull comes in and that decoy is up against a tree over here beside you, um, and it's got a backdrop and that decoy doesn't move, he's not going to see it. Um, you know, and I, I tell people all the time, if you stuck that decoy out in the middle of a, of a wide open field, they'll spot it right off the bat. But if you stick it up against a tree with that backdrop, they don't see it. They don't see it if it doesn't move. That, that helps me a lot. Helps me. I was trying to figure out the logistics of on the bow, off the bow. I never, (laughs) simple as it is, never really would have thought to just flip it over, make that a little adjustment. So that seems totally doable. Well, I need to, I need to to make a better, a better video about that and put it up on our website because it is a really good trick and it, it, uh, uh, it is really effective and serves a serves a purpose and when you know people ask me well okay now you're showing the bull in front of you that all of a sudden popped up you're showing them the side of your bow you know you're you're and you're behind the decoy so you're if you're a right-handed shooter your bow is pointed to your left well if that bull is standing there looking at me i can reach up with my right hand and pull an arrow out of the quiver, knock it. Now that arrow is pointing hard left. The only thing that I've got to, I've got to do is eventually I'm going to have to point that bow forward at the bull and draw. Right. Yeah. So I've got to wait for the bull's head to be obstructed. You know, he's got to get behind something because I'm going to have to reveal myself at some point. But as long as you've made it, made sure that you can still fire an arrow with the thing on the side of the bow and it's not getting the way of your arrows flight path, all you got to do is wait for that animal's head to be obstructed, point the bow forward, draw and shoot. Huh? Well, very good. Um, okay. So let's, uh, shift gears to, to deer. Um, I, our Hills whitetail are kind of act a little bit more like mule deer. It's not like Kansas whitetail, Iowa whitetail. It's not the same thing. It's, they are very responsive to calling. Like in November, mm-hmm. rattling it, Hills deer is the ticket. It's the way to go. They These deer just respond like South Texas deer, I think. They just sure. really respond well. Um, so we've got that style of hunting. And then we have uh, um, and any time out of that season, it's a spot and stock, which spot and stock whitetail sounds like it's not doable, but absolutely um, you can do it pretty successfully. And then we have out on the prairie mule deer, uh, that is, uh, wide open rolling Hills, very similar to maybe some of the more rolling Hills of Eastern Colorado there. Uh, but there's that, how is it? You got big white tails out there in that open stuff. We do. Yes. Yes, we do. Have you ever hunted South Dakota? Oh, not for deer. I've hunted it for turkeys a lot. Oh, Um, and been up in so but i've got a lot of buddies that hunt south dakota pretty regular our uh our turkey numbers are way low in the hills so just if you're ever planning on a trip there we gotta they gotta do some work yet here to get our our turkey numbers in the hills back up it's it's Uh, so popular but the the birds that are around are the are the residential ones and there's still lots of guys coming up being successful for sure but it's sure the numbers have dropped in the last three years and it's gotten a little a little tougher in the hills but anyway, that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we've got, uh, what, what changes in that interaction with these animals, despite the terrain, what's the, how does that change between elk and deer? Um, and pick an example. It's, it's, I know that's a wide open question just to see. Well, some scenarios. number one, 
you're the number one thing to know about using the decoys um, on deer is that it's a completely different game once you get into the rut. Okay. Right. If you're hunting early season deer, you're hunting muleys in the velvet uh, or whitetails in the velvet pre-rut, um, and and they're really not into it yet. You're using the decoy for a completely different purpose than you're using it for in the rut. When you're or or you know, I I say pre-rut or rut. You know, when they're really starting to get going and actively, you know uh chase does and things like that um during the rut you're using decoys a lot of times to bring the deer to you okay um and in the pre-rut or early season that velvet phase when a lot of people are hunting muleys and stuff like that you're more or less using the decoy uh to cover you and what i mean by that is you know, you put a stock on a velvet muley that's bedded down, and what's the hardest part about doing that? When you get up to that, okay, I'm within range, I'm 30, 40 yards or something like that. Well, now, at some point, you've got to reveal yourself and draw, you know, draw the bow, reveal yourself and make the shot. Um, if you draw the bow and pop up over the horizon. That muley sees that movement that he's not expecting, looks up, sees human form. What happens? Boom, gone, you know? And that's a common, um, common thing out in the prairie. It's like, it's hard yeah. to not get skylined with that. Is well, it? and it, regardless whether you're on the prairie or whether you're in the mountains, it's the, it's the same game. It's that you might have a little bit more cover in the mountains, but it's the same thing. You've got the same problem. You know, mm -hmm. well, when you do that with a decoy on your bow, all of a sudden, when they catch that movement, they look up and they see the silhouette of an animal looking at them. It gives them pause. And that pause is what gets them killed. OK, um, but you can't expect usually and there's anomalies all the time, you know, where we have a customer that has one come right to him because deer are social animals and they want to join up with other ones a lot of time. But uh um, for the most part, if you show, uh, a, a, a deer to that buck when he's in that, you know, his, his hormones really aren't going yet, that deer isn't necessarily going to come at you, you know? Mm -hmm. So he, he's probably not going to come at you. Um, but hopefully he kind of writes you off as another deer and goes on about his business. Um, they can be used a lot of times when you run out of cover in those situations, like I've, I, I've done this stock, I've gotten up to 120 yards, but now I'm completely out of cover. I thought I was going to be closer to the deer when I ran out of cover. Well, if I can make it 30 yards across here to this other little patch, well, go ahead and put the decoy up in front of you and stay low. Try to find some cover for your lower body and slowly work your way that 30 yards. If the deer catches you during that, Hopefully it writes you off as another deer and goes back to what it's doing. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Yeah. But if you get, if you can, if you can cover that 30 yards and you know, now you're at 90 yards and you've got a little bit more cover, you can slip in and, and try to get your shot off. Um, that was my, the rut, that was my oh, first, ex, that was my first experience with a whitetail out on the prairie with, with a decoy, uh, uh -huh. this decoy. And I had a, five, 10 minute stare down with a nice little white tail buck. It's like, there's mm -hmm. no way I ever would have had a stare down with a buck. And he was at 125. Yeah. I was out of, out of room looking back how I should, he did take off, but cause I couldn't quite come over the little rise there. Um, what I would have done now is probably just disappeared off the rise, come around a different direction. And I bet he would have just hung out back where he was at but well and what what i would say to do in that situation um is you know bam he has you at 125 well regardless of what position you're in get that decoy between you and him so that he's looking at the silhouette of the decoy and not your silhouette you know what i mean yeah. just make yeah. a real quick move to get that decoy in between you now just reach up flick the ear at him and stay put and you what you're going to try and do is you're going to try and wait for that deer 
to say, okay, that's just another deer and go back to what he's doing. As long as he is staring at you or whatever, other than reaching up and flicking that ear a little bit, I wouldn't do anything. You know, don't, don't move away. Don't, don't make any move whatsoever until he puts his head down or appears to be losing interest. Okay. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? I, I was at a total loss. I was like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. What do yeah. I do right now? Huh. Yeah. Okay. It it's it's a dilemma for sure. But, and that ear flick, um, I think, is a key. Just that. Well, the ear flick helps out a lot because it's a very natural. It's a very natural small movement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you take a big human step, now all of a sudden you have uh, a, a levitating deer that they're looking at. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that ain't natural at all. So um, you, you you just got to try and look at the situation from the other animal's perspective. Yeah. Okay. So then you were saying the deer in the rut, what, uh, now during the rut, it's a completely, it's a completely different game. Okay. Um, and it, it is, it's pretty, it's a, it's a very different game for mule deer versus whitetails as well. Now, even though, your whitetails up there in the hills don't act exactly like they do out in the prairie or in the Midwest. Uh, they're still whitetail and they still do some things exactly like all other whitetail. One of the primary differences between whitetail and mule deer is that a whitetail when he's rutting, he wants to go find a hot doe and he wants to go pin her out in the middle of nowhere, just him and her. And he will chase her, and chase her and chase her till she submits. And he wants to be away from everyone else. And then he, once she submits and gets tired of running around, um, he will sit there with her for a day and a half and breed her over and over and over again. And once he's bred her enough times to where he feels like he's done it for that 24 hour period or however long it, it is exactly, I'm not a biologist. It's, it's about 24 hours or at least 24 hours. Um, then he leaves her and he goes looking for another hot doe. So he'll, you know, if you've got a field down there where all the does hang out, that buck's going to pop up back there trying to, trying to find another one that's ready. And he's going to, he's going to work her like a cutting horse and he's going to push her off into the middle of nowhere and breed her again. A mule deer when it's rutting doesn't try to separate that hot doe. They, they kind of stick right, you know, the, the group of 10 does in there, one of them is hot. That mule deer buck will go over there and hound her and r- run around with his nose up her butt, but they will end up doing their breeding right there near where that doe group is. They don't necessarily run them out into the middle of nowhere and pin that one doe down, okay? Hmm. So when you're sneaking up and trying to get a shot at a rutting mule deer, there's usually multiple doe eyes around that rutting mule deer. Okay. Yeah. When, when you, when you see a whitetail buck that has a doe and he's got her pinned down, you've only usually got one doe that you're contending with, um, which makes whitetails very susceptible during that time. Uh, it's a lot harder with a mule deer. So, you were before we got on this on this call. You were telling me that a lot of times you're using the whitetail without the antlers on it. Um, we've got a accessory set of antlers that you can put on the decoy, and now your decoy is a buck, or you can take them off and run the decoy as a doe. In that situation, if I find a whitetail buck that has a doe bedded, you know, pinned down, I will put the antlers on the decoy, and I'll start stalking in on where I know that that buck has that doe pinned down. And a lot of times it's in brush or or weeds or a fence row or something like that. And I don't necessarily try to stalk all the way in on him. I get as close as I think that I can without, without blowing them. And I try to make sure that that's at least within earshot. And once I get to a, to the point where I feel like, okay, this is as far as I'm comfortable going without potentially spooking them or giving away my my position. All I do is kneel down and doesn't take much cover at all. Kneel down, pull out a grunt call and start grunting at that buck. Hmm. 
Now, when that buck stands up and sees, you know, number one, when he hears a grunt, he's like, oh, crap, I've got this doe. She's hot. I've got her isolated here and I'm breeding her. And all of a sudden I hear another buck. He's grunting right here. Well, when he stands up and sees that other buck, his reaction is going to be one of two things. And a lot of times it depends upon how dominant he is. A dominant deer is going to come at that, at the other buck and try and scare him off. A, a not so dominant deer might try to chase his doe out away from that other buck because he doesn't want to get his butt kicked and his doe stolen. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of cool because the older and bigger they are, the more likely they seem to be to, to come over there to try and chase you off. And, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I killed the biggest buck of my, uh, of my life. It was 170, uh, low one seventies buck, um, that literally was in a weed patch on a, on a doe like that. Um, I snuck up to 40 yards from where I thought that he was. I couldn't see him because the weeds were so deep. And I just knelt down and started grunting on on that grunt call. And it took me 10 minutes to convince him to come out of those weeds to see me. And literally, he was grunting back and forth to me for 10, 15 minutes. And finally, the thing came walking out. He walked out to about 20 yards. I didn't have a shot because weeds were covering his vitals. He looked up and he saw. I actually had me and a cameraman, but he saw both of us. And both of us had deer on and he saw a buck and a doe and he walked right out of those weeds and I shot him at 16 yards Hmm. with his ears pinned back. (laughs) Um, And it's, I don't know how many times most whitetail hunters have either been sitting in a tree stand or driving down the road and they see that situation where a whitetail buck has a doe pinned down and they either try to go in there on foot and get spotted at the last second you know, in that situation that I was in, if I run at that buck and he stands up and I don't have a shot and he can see me, he's gone. Well, if he looks over and he sees a buck like he's expecting to see, it's a completely different game. Um, for the mule deer, you know, I'll just give an example. I, I killed a 200-inch buck a uh, year before last. Um, he had he had three does with him, um, and it was December 1st. So it was right in the middle of well, getting toward the end of our, our uh, mule deer rut here in Colorado, but he was still rutting. Mm-hmm. And one of those three does, I watched him down there with those three does, and he had his nose up her butt and was tagging her around. I waited till they all three bedded down, um, the, the three does and the buck bedded down, got the wind right, came around the other side with a mule deer buck decoy on my bow, came up over uh, – uh, a little berm that was between me and the deer. And when I popped up over it, the buck was at 60 yards. And all I, you know, it's funny when I first started using these decoys, I always thought I needed to do everything through the shooting window of the decoy. I needed to keep my entire body concealed behind there. That's not true. A lot okay. of times they're so focused this includes elk they're so focused on the silhouette of that head as long as that head is up there above your head and they can't see you i just poke my head out to the side and and range and then come back in behind the decoy okay that's and that's exactly what i did i poked my head out ranged him and the the crazy thing was he was laying there in his bed and he saw me come up over that berm all he did was turn his head and look at me so he's laying in his bed right there, and I ranged him. He's 60 yards, and when I went back in behind the, the deer, he stood up out of his bed, and I drew my bow. And he was quartering to me a little bit, 60 yards, and there was a little bit of wind, and I was trying to steady the bow and just getting the pin on him and thinking about shooting, and all of a sudden it dawned on me. It's like, None of the does stood up. They're all just laying there, laying there looking at me. And the buck is the only one that stood up and he's not going anywhere. Hmm. Like 60 yards, I'm capable of making a 60 yard shot, but with him not going anywhere, there's no reason for me to try and make this shot that, you know, is a little bit longer and, and an angle that I don't necessarily think is perfect. So I let down and that buck stood there for probably... 30 seconds 
And he kind of looked over at his nose, looked around, looked up at me, and he starts licking his lips. And the next thing you know, he pins his ears back and he starts walking toward me. And he came into 35 yards and, and stopped again, um, almost full broadside as he went around a, a piece of brush, actually stopped when I drew the bow. And he walked around this piece of brush and uh, gave me a, gave me a shot at 35 yards and I killed him. Oh my God. But he, he saw that doe or I'm sorry. He saw that buck coming over the hill on him and he was going to go over there and run him off. Now, the reason that I'm a huge advocate of using the antlers in that situation is specifically because if I show, if he's got a hot doe laying five yards from him right there and I show him a doe decoy over here at 60 to a hundred yards, he doesn't care about that doe. Right. You know, he go, but he, he's got a hot doe right here. Why is he going to get up and go over toward that doe or, or mess with her at all? All you're doing is, is giving him, you know, making it so that maybe that doe gets nervous about your decoy. Maybe the buck does and, and, and spooking. However, if he sees a buck over there that all of a sudden pops up, it's a much different situation. Now he perceives it as somebody that could come down here and take his hot doe that he's got laying next to him. Do you think you use the antlers during the rut way more than with, than with just the doe? Way more. Okay. Way more. Well, I don't, um, I don't even have them. I'll have to, I'll have to get those, get those on the way. Yeah. Um, well, and a, a little tip, uh, the, we've got whitetail antlers and mule deer antlers. Okay. Um, a lot of times I use the whitetail antlers on both mule deer and whitetails. Okay. Um, the, 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 the whitetail antlers, when you stick them on a mule deer, just makes it look like a smaller mule deer buck, like a forky. Yeah. And they, they are sometimes a little bit easier to handle. So, um, anyway, that's tip. Okay. You can buy the, the whitetail antlers for the mule deer decoy or both decoys. Yeah. And well, I got to get a mule deer one anyway, cause I'm pretty, I would assume too, if I'm going to go chase those muleys in the prairie, then I kind of need to be having that muley decoy. That cross species there probably doesn't have yeah. that same effect, I would assume. Well, we've had plenty of customers that killed mule deer with whitetail decoys and vice versa have killed whitetails with mule deer decoys. Um, but given the choice, if I know I'm going in on a mule deer buck, I want the mule deer decoy. Right. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it might work with the whitetail decoy but a, a lot of times the two species don't intermingle a whole lot um and i'd rather have the one that i'm actually going after exactly okay and <clears throat> it seems like the for deer and elk the i'm sure you got it <laughs> guys using the cow decoy or some other cross species just as yeah i mean it happens i'm sure um but the uh i would assume like the cow would be a really good option for antelope which we said we'd not get into because we're we're about out of time so right um conversation for another day closer to antelope season but um <laughs> well this really gave me a lot of techniques i want to want to and i don't even have to remember it i can i can listen to this in july <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh remember some of these tips and tricks for that to to make using those decoys way more successful. I've been kind of ranting and raving about them for the last eight months thinking, God, this is a, this is a ticket. This is a ticket. I got to figure this out. And it's so much fun. I love, love decoy and stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun. Just like you well, said. The coolest, the coolest thing about it is that you're, you're doing something proactive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're doing something to try and make it happen. And for me, part of the reason that I've been a decoy geek for so long is there is a special kind of thrill in fooling your quarry. You know what I mean? And, you know, one of the reasons people often ask me, what's your favorite species to hunt? Well, it's elk. And, um, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, I'd have a hard time choosing between turkeys and deer. And part of the reason is, is because there's interaction mm -hmm. between turkeys and, you know, when you're hunting turkeys or elk. I'm doing something 
to try and pull that animal to me and I'm getting feedback from the animal. And quite frankly, anything that tells you here, I come here, I come here, I come before you can even see it is capable of just melting you. You know what I mean? Um, now with deer, the coolest thing about using decoys is that I feel like there's, I'm doing something proactive to make it happen. I'm creating interaction between me and the animal. And when it works out and that animal comes in and, you know, is under 20 yards and you have him completely fooled and he thinks you're another animal, there's just something ultra cool about that. And it's, you know, when it comes down to it, it's one of the oldest bow hunting techniques uh, in existence. If you look back at the pictures of the the Indians, uh, Native Americans, what were they doing? A lot of times they were they were running around with deer hides over them and a yeah. set of antlers on their head and bent over and sneaking in on deer like that. That was that's one of the oldest techniques there is around. You know, yeah. in today's day and age, you need to keep safety in mind. Uh, we've got orange safety straps on those decoys. If you feel like you're in an area where you uh, you might need uh, a little protection from idiots that are out there in the field. Um, you know, people often ask me, well, does that orange safety strap, uh, scare, you know, scare the animals when they look at the decoy. And I always ask them, have you ever seen a, a radio collared deer, you know, with a big red radio collar around its neck? Mm-hmm. Do all the other deer run from it? Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't, yeah. you know, they don't really care about the orange safety straps. So anyway, you know, have fun using them. They're very effective. Keep safety in mind. And, uh, and man, it just gives you a, a bunch of options that you don't normally have. And there's, you know, there's certain situations where, where I use, you know, I might have that decoy in my pack. I'm going to go in on this stock. I can tell that when I pop up over this hill, I'm going to be 30 yards from this thing. And it might be a situation where I don't want to use it or, you know, in other situations, I'll pull it out and put it on because I think that there might be a chance that he spots me before I'm completely ready. And I want to give him that moment of pause to let me get the shot off. Yeah. Well, uh, I think any idiot could probably find you, but (laughs) tell, uh, tell us again, kind of what the site name and just any, any other places where we can pay attention to what ultimate predators doing and, and some of your other things you got going on. Sure. Well, uh, you know, follow us on, on social media, Instagram and Facebook. We don't do the tweeting thing. Um, we're uh, ultimate predator gear. Uh, you can look us up on both of those. Our, our website is ultimate predator gear.com. Uh, and then my personal Instagram, you can reach out to me too. It's uh, it's Danny Ferris. And uh, that's about it, man. Or Perfect. listen to me on the, on the Hoyt bow hunting podcast as well. Yes. Yeah, that's in my that's in my list of of uh, different podcasts. Listen to I really enjoy that one. I, I, cool, I really man. do. It's in my. It's I've been listening to that for oh at least the last year, I would think. But yeah, that's that's always a fun one. You got some really good guests, and it's fun to hear the hear uh, um, some successful hunters and the and what what uh, what guys are doing to to put some big animals on the ground or any animal on the ground. So well, we we appreciate it, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for your time, and and I'll stop hitting record, or I'll hit the record and record button here in a sec, but hang out um, just for a sec. So, but yeah, thank you so much for for your time, and and we'll talk to you another time. Yep, appreciate it.